All right, open your Bibles with me, if you will, to uh, John chapter 16. Um, we have been moving through the Scriptures, looking at the unfolding story of, of God, how He has revealed Himself, how He, uh, even before creation, uh, had uh, all in mind that would, would take place, especially as it pertains to uh, His Son coming, dwelling amongst us, dying on the cross and being risen from the grave. Um, then we moved into creation and looked at his his sovereign power there and his influence, his connection to, to who we are and how he's made us, that we were made for a relationship. And then we looked at how the relationship was broken by our decision, our choice uh, to rebel. And as we move through the scriptures, we've seen different images and, and pictures of God and, and, and how he has revealed himself within history, within life, within experience. Last week, of course, being Easter Sunday, we uh, saw the culmination of the kingdom, the, the inauguration of the kingdom, I should say, uh, in Jesus rising from the grave, proclaiming victory and power and authority over all things. And now as uh, we continue on, we, we continue into uh, the next phase of the kingdom and the king, and that is the kingdom manifested. That is the kingdom appearing, the, the kingdom uh, beginning to to take shape and begin to find expression in life, and, and we do that this morning, looking uh, in two books. Really, we'll, we'll be looking, we'll be jumping back and forth between the Gospel of John and the Book of Acts. And what I think is interesting about the fact that it's those two books that we're going to be looking at is they really show a, a comparison between what Jesus promised concerning the Holy Spirit and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and what's interesting about that is you would think it would be Luke and Acts, because Luke also wrote Acts. So you would think if you're looking at a story, an unfolding story, you go with the same author, that Luke would begin his journey, he'd, re, he'd reveal some things, he'd communicate some things about what's to be expected, about what's going to happen, and then in Acts, he'd, he'd play that out, he'd finish that story. And there is some of that to, to, be, to be certain, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit uh, in particular... It's John that has the most to say among the gospel writers, and then Acts obviously sees that play out. Um, and I think that just goes to, to communicate even further that even though we're dealing with 66 different books and some 40-plus authors, we're dealing with one story. We're dealing with one communication, one relation of who God is and who he wants us to be. It's not just a, a haphazard collection of books that were written thousands of years ago. This is God's communication of his presence, his role uh, in this world, and who he desires his followers to be. And so we, we look here this morning, and, and John 16, 7 is, is the start of our uh, reflection. It says, this is Jesus speaking here, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, th this is one of those verses that, and I think I've communicated this before, this is one of those verses that I really kind of struggled with. Um, not because I didn't believe it was true. I, obviously, it's Jesus speaking, and it's in the Word of God itself. And so I believe it's true. But, you, you know, what? when I think of what I would call the advantage that the disciples had. All right? They're, they're walking with Jesus. 
They're hearing Jesus talk. They're hearing Jesus instruct. They're, 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 they're learning these truths from the mouth of God himself. Okay? And, and as they do things, as they make mistakes, he calls them on it. Okay? I mean, James and John, let's pull down fire on these guys. And Jesus calls, uh, that's not what my kingdom's about. But just to remind you of this little um, overexpression on your part, I'm going to name you guys Sons of Thunder. Okay? And you get this kind of a sense of, of Jesus kind of playfully correcting and directing his apostles. And man, how amazing that must have been to be able to sit around a, a campfire and, and ask questions. What about this, Jesus? What about this, Jesus? I, I, I'm sure one of the reasons um, I would never have been called is I would, have, I would have never stopped asking questions. And he would have got annoyed or something. I don't know, maybe. But I think about that advantage. And then I read this verse, and Jesus says what? It's to your advantage that I go away. And I think, okay, I know Jesus, I know it's truthful, because you said it. Okay, But man, do I struggle with that concept. And it just causes me to, to, to stop and think about how much perhaps I have diminished the Holy Spirit's role in my life. How I've diminished the Holy Spirit's purpose and place in who I am as a believer. If Jesus said, it's more advantageous to have the Spirit with us than Him, what am I not plugging into? What am I not really appreciating about the work of the Spirit? Because, as I said, man, give me Jesus all day long. Let me walk alongside Him. Let Him be there to correct me and answer my questions, all those other things. But He says it's even better for the Spirit to be. So this morning, I, I want to look at this idea of the Spirit and, and why His presence is so much better. Why He is so important. What is this that Jesus is communicating? And I'm going to do that through looking, uh, again, jumping back and forth between John and, the, gospel, uh, and the, the book of Acts. And looking basically at what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would offer us. What were the things Jesus said the Spirit would bring us in the passages that precede uh, this verse from John 16? And um, Jesus had several things to say about the Spirit and its work in, ch in chapters 14 and 15. So let's, let's dig in just a little bit to, to see what these are, to see what Jesus promised. The first thing he said that the, the Holy Spirit would offer us was empowerment to do great things. In John 14, 12 through 17, this is what he says. He says, truly, truly. Now again, whenever Jesus says truly, truly, pay attention. Okay, He's about to say something very profound, very significant. Okay, Not that it's more true than the other things he says, but this is one of those things he really wants you to key in on. So truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
You know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. Now, this this is one of those verses that we read, and and again, we we greater things than, than Christ will do. What? You know, anything you ask, what what, what does that mean? And, and we need to be careful that we don't make this passage an us centered passage. Okay, which which I think is is the fault of of some who would. I believe, misuse this passage. Take this passage in direction to basically saying, you name it, you claim it, and it's yours. Um, I don't believe that's what Jesus is instructing. I don't believe that's what Jesus is teaching. When he says anything, I'll do it. Because he puts that qualifier, what? In my name. Which means what? What does that mean? When, when we pray in Jesus' name, what does that mean? It's, it's something we say all the time. It, it's Most of us close our, our prayers with it. What do we mean by that? Basically, I believe what we mean by that is that Jesus could sign his name to that request, to that prayer. In other words, that what we've just prayed is a prayer Jesus himself would have prayed. It's a prayer that that is expressive of his heart, his mind, his priorities, the things that he views as important. And, and so that, that's a very important reality here, that this is not an us-centered thing. Jesus is not saying, let me talk about how great you are going to be. Jesus is saying, let me talk about how great I can be through you. It's like the, the, the song we sang earlier. You know, it's Christ through me that is the priority. Now, he, he addresses, he, he identifies the Spirit here as... Uh, another helper. Now, that word helper there, it comes from uh, the Greek word paraclete, okay, which basically means one who walks beside you. Okay, And and, and he says some things here that, that I think we do need to kind of highlight. Number one is that issue of greater works than these he will do. What does he mean by that? Because, I mean, just in the context of John, what are some things Jesus has done here? He's he's risen people from the grave. Okay, he has obviously healed many people. He's fed thousands from just a few loaves of fish. Those are some pretty amazing works. I mean, to to be able to to say to somebody, "Come forth," and they rise from the dead. How on earth would I ever even begin to approach a work that great, that powerful, that amazing? But I think what Jesus has in mind here is, the way I understand it at least, is that it's it's greater because we're not expected to do it. We can't do it in and of ourselves. Okay, in other words, he's God. Because he's God, he does these things. And you should expect him to do these things because he's God. But we're not God, none of us. And so being able to do any of these things is what? It's a great accomplishment. Okay? Think, think, of, it, think of it this way. There, there's, there's several shows, TV shows out there that, that have these kids do amazing things. Okay? And, they, and these kids come on, and sometimes they sing, sometimes they play an instrument. Sometimes they, they have this really uh, vast amount of knowledge. 
whatever. Why, why do we watch those shows? If an adult were doing the exact same thing, we would look at that and say, eh. But a kid's doing it, so we're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. That kid should not be able to do that. And yet they do. I think that's kind of what Jesus has in mind here. That when people see what his believers are able to do, they're like, wow, no person should be able to do those things. And yet they do. They, they carry those out. So I, th- I think that's how I would, at least personally, I would explain that. I know there's different ways to interpret it, but that's the way I personally would understand Jesus' comment there. I think another thing here is the fact that he highlights that he hears our voice too. It's not just us listening to him. He listens to us. It's a big highlight of this passage, a big reality that he's trying to communicate here. Now think about that. The God of this universe, the one who created all things, who doesn't need you. He loves you, but he doesn't need you. He listens to you. He hears your prayers. That's mind-blowing. If you think about it, if you you just stop and contemplate that for just a second. Okay. Because, I mean, we again, we think of uh, using using our examples on a lower level, you know, we think of maybe celebrities or, or whatever who, who kind of see us. You know, one of the, the big things on, on YouTube that you'll, you'll often see videos of or Instagram and so forth is what? It's when a, a person holds up a sign at a concert saying, I want to play with you. You know, I want to play, play this song with you or whatever. And then the, the artist does what? They call them up there. Come on up. And then you get this video of the person singing or the person playing the guitar with them. And they're like, wow. And, and obviously, we're, we're thrilled by the talent of the person who's come up there, but just the fact that the celebrity saw them. Like, oh, what a great guy or what a great person. You know, that they saw them. They, they stopped and they, 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 they listened to them. Because what? They're a celebrity and they're not supposed to do that sort of thing. You know? So we think there, there are these great people for doing it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you multiply that to the God of the universe, and you have countless people praying to him, reaching out to him, to know that he hears you, he really hears you, that's mind-blowing. I think that's a big emphasis that Jesus is communicating here. I also want to point out that, as I said before, the gift is controlled by the if you love me, verse 15. And in my name. There is this importance, there is this centrality to us sharing our faith with others. Jesus doesn't do these things, and God doesn't do these things just for us, but so that he's glorified and so that others can come to his saving knowledge. But what do we know of this this paraclete, this helper? Well, first of all, he's personal. The Holy Spirit's not an it. Okay. He's a him. He's He's not an ambiguous entity. He's somebody we know. Notice how Jesus addresses him here. He says, I'll send you another 
helper. Someone like me. I'm going to call him in too. Okay. We see that he's he's an advocate. We think of it, think of this in terms of of a counselor, a lawyer, somebody who gives you counsel. Well, this is what I suggest you do in this situation. Or as you're giving testimony, don't don't say those things, say these things. That's something that that the Spirit does. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we often talk about. And he's also described as a comforter. But we need to understand what that what that word comforter means even in the biblical text. It's not someone who says, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, it's not somebody who's coming around and, and kind of rubbing your shoulders. It, it'll be all right. Not that kind of comfort. The word comforter actually at its root means strengthener. Someone who strengthens you. So it's not just him coming along and saying, it's going to be okay. It's him coming along and saying, I'm giving you the power to deal with this situation. I'm giving you the strength. I'm giving you the resources to draw. So these are the things that, that Jesus promised. And, and, and hear how they're fulfilled in, in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least, his shadow might fall on them. Pretty amazing. Now the text doesn't necessarily say his shadow healed them. The text is that that they saw the power of what God has done and what God is doing through these people, and they were willing to do whatever they could to get close to these apostles, to these leaders. But even greater than the Acts is the testimony that they're able to give. A little bit further down in Acts chapter 5. It says, When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they, that is the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. How? How? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit. If someone's beating me, if someone's persecuting me, if someone's treating me harshly or, or calling me names or whatever the, the case may be, my normal response is going to be what? God, stop them. God, get them. You know, take care of these people. But the apostles weren't, again, this is, this is John at least. John wasn't called down fire on him like he had been earlier in Jesus' presence. John was like, yes. I'm close enough to Jesus that people are persecuting me because they connect us. They see him and me. What a privilege to be accused of being a Jesus follower. Elsewhere here in Acts, you have the introduction of the word Christian. The, the, the people in Antioch started calling the people who followed the way, as it's addressed in 
Acts, started calling them Christians. Why did they do that? They were trying to mock them. They were trying to make fun of them. The word Christian was initially a, a, a basically it was a, it was a nah, 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 making fun of you type name. It means little Christ. That's what it means. Oh, look at these little Christ walking around. Aren't they special? That sort of thing. That's what they were doing. And the disciples were like, that's exactly what I want to be. That's exactly who I want to be. Bring that name on. I want to be a little Christ. I want to reflect him. I, I want to reveal him. When people see me, I want them to see him. That sort of response, that sort of of understanding, that sort of comfort in the midst of, of harshness, the empowerment in the midst of that, only comes through the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that empowered them empowers us. The life you live, the things you face, the hardships you encounter, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit there to see you through those circumstances. He is with you. He is empowering you. He is instructing you. Which is the second thing that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit would do. He'll bring understanding of things that have been taught. John 14, 25-28 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus here is responding to Judas's question of what distinguishes a believer from a non-believer. And Jesus, in this passage, identifies a few things that, that, that make that, distif- that distinction. One is they have clarity over what has already happened. The things that they've seen, those things that they've encountered, they understand the purpose of them. And again, as, as we walk through this life, there's going to be things that we encounter, things that we deal with that we don't understand. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why I'm facing this hardship. The first time that really ever occurred to me was with the diagnosis of our youngest son, Spina Bifida. Why, God? Why? I, I, don't know. I don't know why. I don't understand why. Why am I having to go through this? Why are we having to deal with this? And there are still times when I struggle with that to some degree. But there have also been moments in the 19 years since then that I've seen God use that to do things I could never have done, to, to, to be heard by people that never would have listened, to be able to minister and grant comfort to people who otherwise would have assumed I had no way of understanding what they're going through. That understanding, that perspective, that comes from what? From the Holy Spirit teaching and instructing things that have already happened. But also understanding the things 
that Jesus said. How many times in the in in the Gospels do we read that comment? The disciples didn't understand what he meant at this. You know, when he talks about tearing down the temple, and they say he was actually talking about himself. Okay, where did that understanding come from? They, they, that understanding comes from the Holy Spirit teaching them, instructing them. And with that understanding comes peace, even in the midst of hardship. You see that played out in, in Acts in a, in a couple of places. In, in Acts chapter 3, Peter is, is preaching there at Pentecost. And what's he do? He goes through the whole history of Israel in his sermon. And he says, all of this happened for this moment, so that you might encounter God. And then likewise, Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts, as he's being persecuted, he's, he's, be, he's about to be stoned to death for his association with Jesus. He does what? He goes through the scriptures and he points out all the events that point to Jesus as the Messiah. Where did they get that insight? These, these men have been identified numerous times as unlearned. People who didn't go to school and study and go to seminary and all these other things. These are, these are just fishermen. These are just merchants. And yet they're able to go through the whole history of Israel and identify Jesus' role and place in it. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and again, I, I want to encourage you, I want you to understand that that sort of understanding, that sort of perspective is something that God grants to all believers. That's not just these guys. As you listen and as you pray and as you study, the Spirit will give you direction of how to understand His Word. He'll give you clarity of, of, of what exactly a, a passage means and, and how it applies to you. The third thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit would give them is, is words to say. In John chapter 15, 26 through 16, 4, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to, to you to keep you from falling away, that they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. In the work of the Holy Spirit, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. You see God at work. Jesus says that when the time comes, you'll have the words. He says that the Spirit instructs in truth. He says that but he guides our very words and our knowledge as well. He says that he preserves the faithful. And then in Acts we see it played out. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Again, you have this, this great moment. Peter heals this man, this, this lame man who was right outside the, the beautiful gate of the temple. And he gets up and, and a commotion begins. And, and here's that moment. Peter, what are you going to do in this moment? Because this was not a situation where Peter had prepared a message. You know, Pentecost, you might be able to say, you know, Peter, maybe he worked on that message just a little bit. But here, this is spur of the moment. In the moment, this guy's been healed. Everybody's circling. Everybody's asking questions. Everybody's cornered Peter, and Peter's like, here we go. And God gave him the words, the exact words he needed. Now again, how important is that to us? Because as a pastor and as a teacher, uh, you know, at ETBU and so forth, whenever we start talking about witnessing, about sharing our faith, communicating to others, one of the things I often hear, and I've said it myself, so I'm not standing in judgment, is what if I don't have the answers to the questions they ask? What if they ask me something or corner me on something and I just don't know what to say? And this passage, this truth, this promise from Jesus suggests that's not on you. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't study. That doesn't mean we shouldn't learn. That doesn't mean we shouldn't grow in, in how to answer with questions and be able, as Peter says, to, to give a defense of our faith. But what it does mean is that if you've gone into that in prayer, if you've gone into that with the mindset of communicating who Christ is, the Holy Spirit is there to, to help you in that journey. And, and I can just tell you by, by means of testimony that, that this still happens. This, this absolutely happens. There have been many times when I've been preaching and I've ended up going some direction I had no plan of going. And I'll be honest, there have been times when I've got through saying something and I don't even remember exactly what I said. And people have said, you know, wow. You know, that that, that particular section of your, your passage or your scripture, your sermon, that really spoke to me. And I'm like, amen, because that was not part of the plan. And there have been times when I've been sharing my faith and again, Answers came that I didn't know I had. That's the Spirit. And He is not just there for, for pastors or apostles or disciples. He is a part of all of our experience. Let's put aside our fear. Step out in boldness because the Spirit is present. The fourth thing that Jesus says, we'll, the Holy Spirit provides is an experience of God's presence as John 16, 5 through 11. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
And it's to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. We read that earlier. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Jesus says that the Spirit comes to convict the world, to expose and bring judgment. The world in its sinfulness, us before Christ in our sinfulness, we've already rendered our decision about Jesus. We've already declared we don't need God. The Holy Spirit simply comes to us and exposes that refusal. Exposes that, reveals it. That's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit is. It's, it's coming to us and saying, you realize what you've done? You realize the sin you've committed? Not for the sake of diminishing us or, or punishing us, but for the sake of us awakening to the truth. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says here that it enlivens every experience of the believer. Things, all things are just better when we're leaning on the Spirit and what it is He came to offer. We see that played out at, at Pentecost and Acts. I won't go through those, those passages specifically because we're, we're familiar with them, but there at Pentecost, Peter proclaimed the truth and it says their hearts were pricked. Their consciences were challenged and they responded. And then lastly, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will give us guidance through uncharted territory. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now this is not talking about new revelations and new insights and so forth. This is talking about the Spirit helping us to understand and apply the truths of God's Word. Again, we... We reflected on this earlier in the song. When you want to know where to go, when you want to be able to discern the will of God, when you want to know how to, to operate and function, how do you do that? The question I get all the time is, how do I know God's will for my life? And the simple testimony of Scripture is that you know the will of God for your life by living in righteousness, and in that way, God will direct you. He'll give you that clarity. He'll give you that direction. He'll, he'll plant in your hearts the desires that, that are His desires. You do what has already been revealed, what has already been said. You're obedient to those things, and in doing that, you become to understand God better. 
We live in a world that is confusing. We live in a world that is broken and hard. We need a guide. One of my one of my favorite things to do, I don't get to do it nearly enough, but one of my favorite things to do is go hiking. And there are times, uh, this, this past summer we were in Maine actually, and we were doing some hiking. And we are like, okay, which way are we supposed to go now? And then we noticed there were these paint marks on the trees. That was our guide, these paint marks. Every so often, you get to one tree, then you can see the next tree where you're supposed to go. And that was the path. That was outlined. That's how they gave it. And the journey that had just a few moments before been a little bit uneasy because I'm not really sure where I'm going. Suddenly it became enjoyable. I'm looking for the tree marks. Where are we going next? What are we going to see next? And it led us right to a waterfall in the stream. I'm like, wow. Glad I followed those, those paint marks. Oftentimes that's how the Holy Spirit works. He doesn't give you the, the full, this is where your life is going to go. He leads you to that next moment, to that next situation, to that next response. And as you're obedient, as you follow, then you get more clarity, you get more understanding. But it all starts by spending time in His Word first and hearing Him interpret, hearing Him apply, hearing Him take those texts and bring them to life in your life. Then other things begin to become clearer. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So when I look at these things, empowerment, understanding, what words I'm supposed to say, experience of God's presence, guidance through uncharted territory, I realize I have diminished the Holy Spirit. That I haven't acknowledge those things. I haven't lived, lived with those things. I haven't allowed those things to be what they should be in my life. And I'm convicted by that. And I hope as we've looked at them this morning that, that maybe you've gotten some clarity for your own life, whatever that looks like. Whatever the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. Well, the first thing I would I would say is if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with God, then, then none of this makes sense. It really doesn't. Jesus said, those who are on the outside won't understand it. It'll look like foolishness to them. It'll sound like foolishness to them. And without that relationship with God, without that, that connection that the Holy Spirit brings, all of God's Word, feels like nonsense. So if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that change, that transformation, the first invitations to you. Surrender to Christ. Surrender to God. And basically what that means is to say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for His priorities, for His 
his emphasis. I recognize I can't do that on my own. I recognize I need his power. I need his spirit dwelling in me. And so, God, I give you my life. Take it. Use it. That scripture says, in a moment, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, which means giving him our life. We're saved. We're changed. And the Holy Spirit is a part of that salvation. If you're here and you're a believer, and maybe you too have diminished the Holy Spirit's work in your life, this will be your opportunity to respond to that and say, God, make me more attentive to what the Spirit's doing, how the Spirit's leading, what the Spirit can do in my life. Maybe there's other things. Maybe God's giving you that clarity, that direction, surrender to ministry. or some other calling on your life to walking across the street and sharing your faith with a neighbor that you've known for years but never communicated your love for Christ with. The Holy Spirit leads us in all these things. And if he's leading you in these things, you need to be obedient, you need to be responsive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your son, and the gift of life he has granted on the cross and through the resurrection. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, for all of these gifts that he grants, the power, the comfort, the clarity. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's not walking with, with you, not connected with you, not experiencing the presence of the Spirit in their lives because they've never given their life over to you. God, I pray that you would draw them even now. Your Spirit would convict and they would respond in faith by coming up and talking about what that looks like and what that means. God, I pray for others who are dealing with decisions that they need to make, whether it's uniting with our church or surrendering to ministry or just surrendering to a specific call you placed on their life to, to share their faith with some individual or some person that you brought in their path. God, help us to be obedient to your leadership, what you're calling us to. We give you this time. We thank you for your presence here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.